0: We are exploring the lights before Christmas, and we've come to a text this morning, I think, which informs what happened in Bethlehem that night. The threads of this story run through the pages of the Old Testament, and they they find fulfillment in the New Testament, and I think into our lives. And as we've been pulling these threads through the Old Testament, we have seen what? We've seen the manna story in Exodus 16, that Jesus is the bread of life. The next week we looked at at the at the death of Jacob as he blessed son number 4 with all the goods okay he is the most blessed of the sons he gets to carry on the throne or the, the, what will be the throne will come through him and so we looked at what, what that means as he spoke on his deathbed last Sunday we identified some parallels between the birth of Christ or between the birth of Moses and the birth of Christ these two great redemption stories the arrival of these two onto the planet was, was, there were some parallels. As this morning, we're going to fast forward probably about 80 years after the birth of Moses into his life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 33. It's a fascinating passage where we find some dialogue between Moses and God. Moses asks God three questions. God answers him three times. Let's just start this morning by reading the text. Exodus 33, beginning of verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Don't send us out if you're not going to be with us. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. What a prayer. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. whom my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the, in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moses sees. What does he see? He sees the glory of God. But I think we can only understand this request of Moses if we consider its context. Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They are camped at Mount Sinai. He has been up at the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. And during those days on the mountain, God had revealed his law to him. He had written the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. And while Moses was up there with God, the Israelites, they're so restless, they're down with Aaron, and they's like, eh, come on, we need a God we can see. And so they gathered around, and they, just, they made for themselves a golden calf, and they danced around it, and they worshiped it. Exodus 32, verse 4 says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, the ones you just made brought you out of Egypt. The people offered sacrifices to the golden calf. They had some wild parties. It was, it was party time down below. And God knew all about it. He could see it. And he told Moses, I'm just going to destroy Israel. I'm done with these people. They say this golden thing took me out of Egypt. It took them out of Egypt. What is, what, what is with them? But Moses, he prays, he intercedes. Tells God, God, these are stiff-necked. They are rebellious people. But remember, you made a promise to Abraham. And it wouldn't look good for you and your reputation. Because people would say, You just brought him out of Egypt to kill him out here. Why don't you just kill him there? So God changed his mind. He relented, he did not destroy the people. And Moses then comes down from the mountain. And when he saw the people, he saw these wild celebrations for himself. He takes these two tablets of stone, he throws them down, and they break. And he burns this golden calf. He grounds it down to powder. He puts it with some water, and he gives them some refreshment to drink. And he called on those still loyal to God to come rally to his side. And the Levites came, and they killed 3,000 people that day who had worshipped these idols. And the next day, Moses pleads with God for forgiveness for his people He even says, God, blot my name out. Make me of nothing if I can just, you'll you'll just save these people. And so God told him to then lead his people away from Mount Sinai. Go toward the promised land, he says, but I'm going to stay here. You go. Exodus 33, verse 3. God says, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you along the way. That is our greatest fear, is it not? That we move and God doesn't go with us. And I think it happens to us more than we think. See, in our rush to get on with life, we take control of the situation, and then things, they just don't happen as we think they should have. And the results didn't work out as we hoped. And I wonder how many of us look back on some major decision in our lives and we're going to say, you know, I see now God wasn't really in that. I did that all on my own. And the tragedy of going on in our lives without God is that we generally don't discover we've done that until it's too late. And some of our decisions can't be undone, not very easily. And so Moses intercedes with God again, and this time he says in the text we read, if you don't go with us, we're not going to go. You've led us out of Egypt to this point in the middle of Sinai. you better not, we're not going to go without you. We're not going to leave you behind. I cannot navigate the wilderness with these people all alone. And then comes the great request in verse 18. That's why he says, show me your glory. And God's answer is a qualified, yes, okay. I'll show you my glory, he says, but not all of it. Because verse 20, no one can see God's face and live. So God offers to hide him in this crack, this crevice of the rock, and he'll go by him and he can see the backside after he's gone by. That's the most Moses could see and not die. And I want to stop right there in this story I wanna let the story itself soak into our lives. What do we learn from the setting of the story that can transform us, that can encourage us, that can help us? Before we see how the thread of this text finds its fruition in the New Testament, let's pause and consider what we can learn. We can apply some things just from this story and then we'll pick up the thread in the New Testament. And then we'll come back to the story and look at some of the details more carefully. For now, there are three lessons from this account. I think number one, we discover God's glory in a time of crisis. Moses is in a time of crisis. And he prays, show me your glory. And he finally gets to that place when? After they'd begun to worship this golden calf. After he'd broken the Ten Commandments after 3,000 Israelites had died, after he had interceded with God on multiple occasions for these people, and this prayer came after he'd saved them from destruction, after they'd received his, he'd received the promise that God really wasn't going to abandon these people. And I'm sure the ongoing crises had drained him. He was ex- had to have been exhausted. We all have our limits. He was at his. Tom Landry, longtime coach of the Dallas Cowboys, used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And most of us can handle a little bit of adversity. And some of us can handle a lot of adversity. But all of us have a breaking point. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what your track record is, you can only take so much. And there's a lesson if we care to listen, you're not as strong as you think you are, and neither am I. You're not as wise as you think you are, and neither am I. You're not as clever as you think you are, and neither am I. You are not as self-sufficient as you think you are, and neither am I. The biggest oak tree in the forest might look invincible, but if you hit it in the right place with a little axe, you can come down. But know this. It is a good thing that God sends us through fiery trials or else we would never see his glory. I've heard your stories many times because trauma can help us clean out the cobwebs of our life. Tancer has a way of doing that. It can clarify. It can draw us near to God. We can find comfort in God and freedom from the distractions of this world. Often, if we didn't have difficult days, we would never discover all of those things. We learn more in the darkness than we ever learn in the light. And we grow stronger in affliction when the sun is shining. We grow stronger in affliction than when the sun is shining. And all is well. You see, it's not a coincidence that Moses discovers the glory of God in a day of personal crisis in his life. And the same is going to be true for us. We discover God's glory in the time of a crisis. Second. The revelation of God's glory, it it comes at a personal cost. Moses was told by God that, that his prayer is going to be answered, but not in the way he expected. In a sense, I really think Moses had no idea what he was asking for when he said, show me your glory. He wanted to see the glory of God, but that means seeing God in his essence. But God says, you know there's a cost if you see me in my essence because he says no man can see God's essence and live. Why not by the way? There seems to be two reasons biblically number one John four twenty four says God is spirit okay we can't see spirit he doesn't have a face he doesn't have hands he doesn't have a back. Those are all physical things. They're just descriptions of, of what, they're, what they think they're trying to see. And so as physical beings, God cannot be seen apart from divine assistance unless he steps in and fixes something. And what humanity has seen over the years has just been a partial manifestation. It's what he allows us to see. And when Jesus came to earth, men did see God manifested in human flesh but it's still not the full radiance of his glory. And second reason we don't really see God is because we're sinful. We are not able to look upon a holy God in our present sinful condition. We're going to get to that text that says it very specifically. John will say, you know, there will be a time when we will see him because we'll see him as he is. You see, the prayer of Moses is to see the glory of God. But the light would blind him. It would totally consume him. So God told Moses, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. You'll see my backside as it goes by. And that alone would be overwhelming to you, Moses. But at least you won't die. You see, sometimes we ask for things that we cannot even bear. We want certain blessings, but we have no idea of the cost that is actually involved. And certainly when we pray, show me your glory, like Moses did, we're asking for something far beyond our ability to receive. Third lesson, when this prayer is answered, Others will know it before you. Interesting. Exodus 34, 29, if you flip over there, it tells us that when Moses came down from the mountain, he has this experience with God, and when he comes down from the mountain, what happens? His face is shining, it's radiant, because he'd been speaking with God, but he didn't know it. He just came down the mountain. He had been with God so long that some of the glory of God had rubbed off on him. And his men, they saw his face shining and that he'd been with God. But he had no idea his face was shining until they told him. Evidently, it was too much to look at, so he puts a veil over his face so it wouldn't blind his friends. You see, sometimes we pray, Lord, show me your glory, hoping for what? Some deep personal experience that will transform us on the inside. And although we wouldn't exactly say it, We secretly hope that by drawing drawing close to God, we'll have some experience in life that makes us better people, that eliminates our doubts, that increases our faith, that once once and for all frees us from temptation. It fills our heart with joy. Who is that all about? Me. We want to know God better for my own benefit. But in the case of Moses, the real benefit was what? It was seen by other people. They saw the visible evidence of God at work in him before he did. And we've all been asked at one point or another, I've probably asked this question, are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? How do you answer that question? I never know, satisfactorily. Now, I certainly hope I'm closer to God this year than last. That's kind of the goal. That's what we want. But I do not see myself clearly enough to know how really to answer that question. Because sometimes I look at my life, (laughs) there's no progress. The best way to answer a question like that is to do what? Is to ask the people around me, well, how's he doing? Ask my wife, ask my kids, ask the people I work with every day because they're going to know the truth. Now, I'm not recommending you do that, by the way. (laughs) But if you've been walking with the Lord, other people will know it first. So don't be upset if you feel like you've not made much progress spiritually because no matter how far we've come, I mean, there's always more ground to cover. It's a a journey here. And when we think we're going in circles, we might actually be ascending the mountain. And sometimes it's going to take a friend to say, look how far you've come. I can really see God's work in your life. And I think that was true for Moses. And it can be true for us as well. Have you noticed it's Christmas? And it's Christmas Sunday. So what does all of this have to do with Christmas? How do we see this incident in Moses' life carried through into the New Testament? I think it can deepen our understanding of what's going on when the birth of Christ happens. Because what does the New Testament say about how to have an encounter with God? I think as we read this account in Exodus, Some other texts in the New Testament are just going to pop for us. So Moses and Christmas, what do they have to do? Let's look at three texts. Number one, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We're on this journey. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you want to see the glory of God, like Moses got to do partially? Well, you get to, you will. See, here's the hope to experience what Moses so desired, to see God. But because he's spirit right now, that can't happen. So at this hope, something has to change when we see him face to face, that we will get spiritual eyes, and that we will be cleansed of all sin. And we'll be able to gaze on that which is holy and perfect. You see, a day of transformation is coming. That's wonderful news. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Even as I am fully known. I hear, maybe it's just me, I hear echoes of Exodus and the relationship that Moses had with God because you see it's in the incarnation that God is fully revealed and his presence is offered to all who believe. Because Jesus came, we have the opportunity to know God fully someday. There will be a level of maturity that we will attain that will enable us to know him fully. One one more New Testament text, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John 1 is, is his version of the nativity, there's no wise men, there's no shepherds, He's stepping farther back and he's explaining really theologically what's going on in the manger. And what's happening, he says, is Jesus made him known. He made God known. The last phrase he has, Jesus who has made God known. In Jesus, we as humans can see what God is like. And then he writes, "No one has ever seen God." but the one and only Son who is himself God. You see, the real challenge of Christianity, the real challenge to our faith, the real mystery of our faith is not Good Friday and the the discussion of the atonement. It's not Sunday morning, the resurrection, and how did all that happen? The real mystery of our faith is here. It's in the message of the incarnation. The staggering claim of Christianity is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man, therefore he is able to make God known to us because he is God and because he took on humanity without any loss of deity. And it's here, the thing that happened on that first Christmas that the most profound and deep truths of our faith lie. The one and only son who is, who, is, who is himself God. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. All he could do that night was lay there and cry and poop and whatever. It's what babies do. You had to feed him. You had to change him. He had to be taught like any other child. There is no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God is a reality. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. What child is this who laid to rest? On Mary's lap is sleeping. Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him Lord, Worship him, the babe, the son of Mary. What Moses prayed for is available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Moses wanted to see God's glory, but what Moses really wanted in the context was the assurance of the presence of God as he led his people. And what do we have in the person of Jesus? The assurance of the presence of God. The assurance that God is with us. What does Jesus say as he's leaving? I am with you always even to the end of the age. But wait a minute. If no one can see God, what did Moses see? You see, I think the answer to that question will inform us and our encounters with God. Because Moses, what he's really asking for, he's asking for a sign He's asking for the direction, the presence. Assure with me, God, that if we leave Sinai, as we head north up to the the promised land, you're going to be with me. I just can't do this alone. We are always looking for a sign. We're not doing no different. Many times in life, you just ask God, what do I do? Would you write it in the sky for me? Because that's what we're looking for. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Wouldn't that be amazing? And every time we face this fork in the road, we want God to just make the the one light up that we're supposed to go on. Give us a heavenly teleprompter that tells us what's the next step. It's interesting that we don't ask God for input, though, on every decision that we make, do we? Just the big stuff. Who are we going to marry? What college should I go to? Should I change jobs? Am I in the right job? Just tell me. And we say, show me a sign. Any old sign will do. And Moses, the great leader of the Hebrew people, is no different. God, show me a sign. But wait a minute. Didn't Moses get lots of signs already in his life? I mean, there was that thing, the burning bush. He did have a staff that became a snake. He used some tree branches and cleaned up the polluted water. He had manna every day, they had a pillar of fire to lead them at night, and, and these clouds to cover them by day, and now he wants further clarification. Let's go back and what does he actually ask for, and what does God actually give him? Exodus thirty three twelve. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. I need some help, you have said I know you by name and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation's your people. I just need guidance, I need direction, I need help. We're like wandering in the desert here, God, show me the way. And God never wrote a message to him in the sky. He never laid down a blueprint. He never got an email. He never got a fax. And what does God promise? His presence. Verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's amazing. Moses goes on. He will eventually ask to see his glory, of course. But he wanted a sign in the middle of this very difficult part of his life. And what does God promise? He really promises him three signs. I'll give you three things. They aren't like road signs or directional signs or billboards, but they are signs. And there are three of them. Number one, he says, I'll give you the sign of my glory. Verse 18, Moses said, show me your glory. This weighty, significant, importance, shining majesty that accompanies God wherever he goes. Have you ever seen a weighty, significant God all around you? I would wonder if we've seen it so much, we don't pay attention to it, and so therefore, why does God need to give us any more? The heavens declare the glory of God. Look up. Creation witnesses to the glory of God. The New Testament says the church embodies the glory of God. It says we reflect it. See, the glory of God is all around us. Moses came to to understand that, that God's glory was there, but he didn't see the entirety of God's glory, and neither will we, at least not yet. Sign number two, he says, verse 19, is the sign of His goodness. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. You want to see me? Here's my goodness. It refers to really the the essence of his glory. The work of his hand is good. And the goodness of God is, is the concrete experience of life that God has done and what he's doing in the lives of his people. And Moses experienced the goodness of God time and time again, but he didn't witness all of the goodness. And third, he gives him the sign of his grace or his mercy. Verse 19, the Lord said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. His unmerited favor, his mercy, his grace, an expression from the heart of God. God loves them. He's compassionate for them. And many times in our journey, we deserve justice and God gives us his grace and his mercy. We as people are the recipients of his grace. But not all of his grace. Are you satisfied with what you see? Are you satisfied with what you see in your life of his glory, of his goodness, and of his grace? And sometimes I think God is under no obligation to give us any more of that glory, goodness, or grace until we say thanks for that which we have. And we probably should have explored that concept a little more fully, but there's really only one application that I want to point to this morning in this section. It has a number one. There is no number two except for the one I just mentioned, which is an A, you know, whatever. One, zero, I don't know what. This is what I want us to learn. We see signs of God in the rearview mirror. There's an interesting thing about the signs of God's grace, His glory and His goodness. Most often, as God is leading us, it's as we look back that we see those. It's sort of like looking at a rearview mirror of our lives. Oh yeah, God showed up then. I didn't notice it at the time, but He did. We look back and we see how God caused a bad situation to work out for good. We see an event play out and say, oh, only God could have done that. We'll look back at things that happened to us as so undeserved and unmerited. God was at work. And while the path of our journey is not usually a straight line, when we look back, we can detect the leading of God. And even though our life looks more like a switchback on a mountain road, God still gets us to the destination where he wants us to be. Because we often define the presence of God in our lives as a sentimental familiarity. We get our theology from country music. From the songwriters who talk about having a little talk with Jesus. Almost as if God was just our chum and we're just going to have a little chit-chat. Usually we are unaware of the presence of God in our lives until after the fact. Moses wanted a sign. He wanted the presence of God. And God said, you see my signs all the time. You can see my glory. Look up, look around, look at your people. Look at my goodness through your life. Look at the mercy and grace that I've shown you so far. But if you want a visible appearance, we call them in theology world a, a theophany. If you want to see God, then you've got to do the following. Verse 21, there's a place near you where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the fissure of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face you must not see. And so Moses did what he was told to do. He stood in this crevice. He, took, he stood in the, in the crack, in the, in the cleft, the split of the rock, and God passed by. A visible appearance in this time a human form. And Moses saw him, but he didn't see his face. He saw his back. Why? Perhaps we don't see the face of God Because we cannot see him coming, we can only see where he's been. Why? We see him and and, and as we look back at him, we don't anticipate, we don't second guess God. But often after long reflection, we are finally struck by what God has been doing in our lives. It's been my experience that God does not always point the way, but He does lead the way. Follow His back. And when I look back, I can see Him leading. And I hope you can as well. There is in this text a great encouragement from this ancient story. In a time of crisis, God cried, Moses cried out to God. He prays this magnificent prayer. And he asked for more from God than I think any human ever had. And he received more than any human ever had. And yet both the prayer and the answer, they come in a time of personal crisis in a revelation of Moses' own weakness. And the answer's been seen by others When he came down from the mountain, much more than he could see himself. And these truths are here for encouragement. Your trials are not in your life to destroy you. God intends that you should use the hard times to draw near to him. And if you're willing to be made weak, and you will learn the things that the Lord wanted you to learn, and you can grow in strength but the weak are hidden in the cleft of the rock. And as we acknowledge our weakness and hide in the cleft, we're the ones who will truly see the work of God in our lives, because we're just like Moses. When God leads, we just follow. We do not see God's face, but we do see his back. We cannot see his face because we cannot see him coming. We see where he's been and we follow. It's only after long reflection that we're finally struck with what God has done in the past. What we celebrate next weekend is truly the most incredible mystery of all of the mysteries of God. God became flesh. The glory of God came in the person of His Son and that Son promises His presence with us to the end of the age. We have seen the threads that kind of light up the journey but on that night we see the light of the world. The glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we get to tell the greatest, most amazing story, the realest thing we have ever experienced, as we tell the story of the light of the world. And I pray this week as we face trials. I pray that as we we make decisions and directions, we might see your glory in our lives and in this creation. We might understand your goodness to us and that your mercy and grace will be a fresh taste in our mouth, that we will worship you as king and we will follow you as the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.